We're, we're still in this sermon series on blessed. We've almost spelled the whole word, uh, but we've heard some different voices uh, and we've heard some different, I think, avenues on, on talking about intentional evangelism, which has been fun in the process. Um, I appreciate that both Mike Bingaman and Jody Moore were able to bring their voices to this. I think we're better for it when we hear more voices than just mine. And you can say, man, that's all right to that. But what we're doing in this, this is an initiative that the covenant has undertaken recently. Because they've recognized that in a lot of our established churches, even though evangelism is in our DNA, it has not been a stressed part of who we are in the recent past. Uh, We're just not quite doing as well as we were in the past at evangelism. And so you can see the key words, intentional evangelism. And some of us are scared by that second word when we hear it, evangelism. But I think the simplicity of bless is it's looking for, like we heard from Adam's testimony this morning, those really simple ways. God gives his word to us. What are you going to do with it? God gives us those interactions. What are we going to do with those small interactions we have with people on a regular basis? God already blesses us. How are we going to bless those around us? Because of the goodness of God in our lives. So let's review as we start this and talk about what blessing is. Blessing is an expression of good for another person. Remember, uh, we talked about this way back at the beginning of the series, so you may not remember. But uh, it's not a thought of good towards another person. That's good. That'll start the process. It's actually doing something, expressing something, saying something, praying for someone. Many of you uh, practiced this recently at our own home. We were gone for 10 days, and you redid our floor. That was an expression of good for another. We were blessed by that, and we're tremendously thankful for that. That's an expression of good. Somebody might say, I want to pray for you. That's an expression of good. Somebody might say, I want to pick up the tab for lunch. That's an expression of good. You might be blessed by that. Some, anything like that it has to be done. That's the key. But then evangelism is the piece that scares us because we think sometimes that that just means we're going to be dropped on a street corner with a tract or we're going to have to go do a bunch of cold calls to people or stand there with a megaphone or whatever kind of extreme example you can think of of evangelism you've thought of in the past. Now, I'm not completely ruling those things out, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what this intentional evangelism initiative is talking about. It's using natural connections, leveraging natural connections that you have to bless somebody else. And we've all got them. And again, you hear in the testimony from Adam this morning, really all God is doing in his life, and he's been doing it in mine and the lives of some others that, that I've been talking to is, Raising the antennas so that these natural connections, I just take it a step further than I normally would have to bless somebody. And all of a sudden, it can open you up to a new conversation, a new level in a relationship with somebody that might lead to more. You never know, but that's what it means to bless somebody intentionally. You mean to do it. You're trying to do it. And to bless evangelistically, it's because the good news has touched you that we would do it, that we would bless others. So let's have our little spelling bee right now. We're four letters into the word bless. If you don't know the last letter of the word, come next week, you'll find out. But bless, the first word, uh, letter is B, uh, and what we mean is begin with prayer. And I'll have my transparent pastor moment with you. I'm often fooled on this one. I go to the L or the E or the S or the S right away to start doing instead of praying for those people in my lives, for those contacts to happen for the ability to be able to bless or recognize those moments when I can bless somebody. Begin with prayer. 
Let's not be fooled. We're responding to God's work. We're not making it up. The L stands for listen with care. I think uh, Pastor Jody did a great job last week of, of expressing the fact that all too often when somebody needs a listening ear, we actually think they need advice. But really, they just need a listening ear more often than they need advice. And we need to be able to have the ability to listen to people. That's a huge blessing, actually, to just be a listener. Eat together. Food is important. Can I get an amen? I mean, I love food. I don't know about you, but uh, I love going out of this after, after worship and making a left turn. And what is there? A whole lot of food. And there's a purpose to that. It's not just so that we don't have to eat lunch later, which happens with my kids. We, we have that there because food makes a difference in our social interactions. So you can try an experiment if you want when you walk out there. Grab somebody else uh, when you go out there and, and say, okay, we're going to have a staring contest. Don't have anything in your hands. Nothing. You can set down your phone or whatever stopwatch you're using for a minute, or your watch actually works too, as it turns out. Stand there, close to each other, eye to eye, for one minute. Don't say a word. Nothing in your hands. That's the key. It'll be awkward and really fun. Then, take another minute after that and actually have something in your hands. Food, coffee, Bible, anything that you've got around. And you'll see there's much more ease to the conversation, isn't there? That's one of the reasons that we have coffee and food before and after the service. It, it's actually, there's a social component to it as well. It's important. And as an evangelistic uh, idea, Stephanie and I are talking about uh, having a block party in our neighborhood because we were at an event with a whole bunch of our neighbors recently. We said, why don't we just extend the fun? Let's have a block party. Maybe we can learn about our neighbors and their needs through that process. Or perhaps there's somebody that sits at the break room or the lunchroom at work who you know you could connect with, but you just haven't taken that extra step. There are always those opportunities to eat, and when we eat together with others, it changes the atmosphere of the relationship. Serve with love. That's what we're on today. That's the first S. So we've now spelled blessed. You could probably stop there if you didn't want to have proper grammar, and you'd be okay. Uh, Serve with love. And let me give you one of my favorite passages. We're going to zero in in a little bit on Matthew 28, but, but I want to begin with James 2, 14 through 17. James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister was, was without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, can we apply this beyond simply taking care of a physical need? And, and serving in love could take care of a physical need. Can, when, can we apply this a little more universally? And just say, what good is it to say, man, I know that you're struggling in life, but I hope it goes well with you. What good is it to say to somebody, I know that you're, you're, uh, you don't know Jesus Christ, and you, you're trying to figure out the value of life or the meaning of life, but I hope it goes well for you. What good is it to look at the difficulties that people have in this life and know that we have the one who blesses us and takes care of us and wants and has created us and cares for us, and we say, I hope it goes well for you. I'm not going to be a part of the solution. No. James is calling in a physical sense to do it. We should believe that in a broader sense that we have a ministry to serve those around us who need to hear the good news. And so rather than reinventing the wheel as we talk about this, 
If you go onto the Covenant website and look at Bless, if you look in your bulletin, you actually have a whole bunch of stuff in there too. On, on the, the uh, first S insert is in there too. It's got a lot of good things in there, details and this website. Uh, you can go find all the stuff I've been using to prepare these messages. Uh, and one of the e-books that's on there is, is what this whole thing is based on, Discover Your Mission Now by a, a pastor named Dave Ferguson, who I think gives some good uh, pointers on what it takes to actually serve in love. So these are real practical. I'm taking them straight from Dave Ferguson, but I'm putting my own stories to them uh, so that we give credit where credit is due. But he gives five different things. We've got four on the screen. Just hang with those four for a moment of what you need if you're going to serve in love. Now, when I recognized that I had a call to pastoral ministry, uh, I was actually studying to be a teacher. I wanted to be a professor at the college level. That's what I was doing because I, I, I had this call to ministry, but I wasn't really responding to it. Um, and you can ask my wife about it because she tells the story better later, uh, and you'll have a good time sitting over food, if you would. You can ask her about it. But what I discovered along the way is that I'm a person who could live in the theoretical world and be really happy. I could read about something and write about it, read and write, read and write, and I would just be so happy to do that for the rest of my life. But God was calling me to be in ministry within the local church, and I'm happy doing it. I love it. To be on the front lines of ministry and doing this ministry is fun. I was supposed to be practical with it, not simply academic about it. And, and that's the first point. You need to have close proximity to people if you're going to serve them and serve them in love. You can't be theoretical. You actually have to be with people. It seems like a simple point, but it's worth pointing out. The second thing is uh, we need to serve people perceptively if we're going to serve in love. I had a very short stint in life where I was a hospital chaplain in the Chicago area. And, and I was told by my supervisor, uh, and it's proven true over and over again, if somebody presents you an issue or asks you a question, there's often something well behind that question that they might not be bringing up, that they might not be presenting to you. And I could tell you stories later, and they'd be very interesting. But one of the, the stories I'll leave with you today is this. Uh, we were in a very highly Catholic area in the Chicago suburbs where I was serving, and I went to a patient's room who's in the critical care unit. He, uh, you know, he was doing okay, but there wasn't a lot left in life, I don't think, for him. He was very old and, and in poor health. And he only spoke Polish, and his granddaughter was there who translated for us, and he wanted a priest to come and visit him. And we were in a highly Catholic area. Priests were in and out of the hospital all the time. I thought, okay, no big deal. I'll just get the next one that comes in. You can do this translation thing. It'll work perfectly. No, no, has to be a priest that speaks Polish. He was insistent. Has to be a priest that speaks Polish. I can't have my granddaughter translate. Well, I wasn't very perceptive. I was trying to figure out why. And so I was begrudgingly trying to find a Polish priest. And it was like 10 o'clock at night, you know, on a Friday kind of thing. And so I'm calling around different places. Fortunately, it's Chicago. So short of Europe, it's probably one of the other places where you can find a Polish-speaking priest pretty easily. Found one, got them to come, discovered he wanted to confess. He couldn't use his granddaughter to do that. You need to fulfill the needs perceptively. I needed to be perceptive about that. Third thing, personally, if we want to serve in love personally, we have to do it that way. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. The one I'm holding in my hand is translated into English. Ever think about why all those things are the case? The Old Testament's in Hebrew because that's the people God was speaking to. He spoke in their language. He wanted it to be, well, he didn't speak in Hebrew. He wanted it to be translated into their language. Greek, same thing. It needed to be 
discernible in a language. We need to be able to understand the story in a personal way. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a human who looked like the time period he came. It's a very personal thing, isn't it, from a personal God. God didn't just call it in. God didn't just say, you ever think about the story? I mean, it's very personal, the way God deals with us and has dealt with us and has enacted our salvation. And so we need to do the same. I I was challenged a bunch of years ago. Somebody said, why do you share or why does anybody share personal stories when they preach the the Bible, when they preach the gospel? Why can't you just preach the gospel? And, And I'm assuming that they meant in some bullet points that just elucidate it in some way. And I, I, you know, I didn't have the best answer, most cogent answer at the time, but God deals with us personally. Why can't we be personal in our stories too? God's dealing with us all the time in a personal way. The sharing of his story in our lives is personal, and we need to share that with others. That's what brings people into the story. It's very personal. The fourth thing to point out is that powerfully, to serve with love powerfully. Now, Jesus did this quite clearly. Uh, He went and he touched people, or he spoke words, and they were healed, they were freed, they were released from demons, whatever it was he was doing. We heard, even this morning, the disciples go out, or the apostles go out, and he says, go do the same. And maybe that seems far from us. We might say, well, I don't know if I have that power flowing through me from Jesus Christ, but I can tell you what we do have in us. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, chances are God is already at work in your life renovating your heart. That power is at work in you. And we can testify to that power to other people. We can pray for that power to work in those around us, to continue to work in us, and to work in the lives of the people that we work with, our family members, our friends, that their hearts would be renovated too powerfully. And the fifth thing that we'd point out is that there's a a sense in which if we're going to serve with love, we need to be able to accept a blessing as well. There needs to be a level of reciprocity that somebody needs to be able to give to us. If we're blessing others and they all of a sudden want to bless us, we need to be able to take it, right? We need to be able to receive it. A gift giver needs a receiver in order to give their gift. And interestingly, to go back to how you all blessed us while we were gone most recently, what's fun is to hear stories of you all came and renovated part of our house and it blessed people that did the work. Isn't that interesting that in giving a gift, it can also be a blessing. So too, we can be a blessing to others simply by receiving. It might bless them. So to round out our our quoting from Dave Ferguson, who put all this together, he does say an interesting thing in this little e-book. He says, God has either sent you to the people you are to serve, or God is going to send you to the people you are to serve. And, and the interesting thing, I think, sometimes we sit around waiting for our commission. He says, it's going to come. But, but by and large, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've said yes to Jesus, your commission is already here to go and do this thing. Sometimes we're looking for a very specific word from God. God, exactly how am I supposed to use this on a Tuesday at 10 a.m.? Well, you might be able to pray for that and get that, but we have our commission to go and do already, to have the antennas up. I was reminded of this this week, uh, the Babylon Bee, uh, that satirical news website, had a great headline. It said, man sitting literally three feet away from Bible asks God to speak to him. Sometimes we're looking for something so specific and we don't recognize that the commission is already there on us. 
to go and do. So Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And I'll start at 18, actually, because Jesus came to his disciples. This is after the resurrection. And he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There's your commission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is your commission. Go and make disciples. And that's what disciples do. Disciples make disciples. And I believe the truth of this statement is sitting in this room. If you've said yes to Jesus Christ, chances are another disciple helped you get there. So we need to do the same. We are the disciples that make disciples, just like those original disciples did. And you can see how this plays out in the early church uh, Acts two forty two through 47. It talks about they, the church in Jerusalem, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with the awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers to, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued meeting together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what did God do? It said, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were blessed. They were extending the blessing. The church was doing that. They were making disciples too. That's what disciples are supposed to do. They were living it out as a people. Furthermore, disciples follow the master. They don't just follow the disciples who came before them. Of course, that's how we learn about the master uh, in many ways. You can look at faithful people, saints of the past, and you can see how we're supposed to be. But of course, it's the master Jesus that we're looking to, ultimately. One of my uh, favorite saints in history is Polycarp. He died in 155. And I know I don't need to tell you the story right. Very familiar. I'm just kidding. Um, He died at the hand of the Romans, uh, put in the arena. He was very sarcastic to the emperor when he talked to him. Uh, which is, I think, why I like him so much. But he, uh, when he's standing there, the emperor wants him to recant Christianity, and he says, you know, I've served my king for 86 years. He's never done me wrong. I can't do him wrong now. And he ends up being burned at the stake and then actually stabbed because he didn't burn at the stake. It didn't, the fire didn't get him, so the story is told. Polycarp, though, interestingly, was a disciple of John, the apostle John who was, of course, a disciple of Jesus. You can see the extension out as it goes. Now, Polycarp learned from John, but in his testimony at the end of his life, he doesn't say, I've served John for 86 years. No, I've served my king for 86 years. We learn from the master. Disciples make disciples. You can see the progression going out, and you can see that in other places throughout Scripture as well. well let's say the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip and that sort of thing. You can see different examples of where disciples are making disciples, and they go and they affect entire cultures because of that. The third thing I I would say, your commission is already here. We know this. Disciples don't just make disciples, follow the master, but they bless others. That's what disciples do. We're supposed to go out and be a blessing to others. And so we heard from Matthew 9 this morning, and I'll read just a part of that again. Uh, It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Author and pastor Kevin Harney, uh, in commenting on this, I was struck by this when I was reading this in, in his book recently. He says, The problem in this passage is in the, evangel- or in the evangelistic equation is not with the world and with those who are spiritually wandering. It is with those who are already in God's family. Isn't that interesting? People are ready to hear. People are ready to be blessed. People are out there in need. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. We need workers to go out there and harvest. The field is ready, Jesus is saying. Now go out and do. We, we sometimes wait for our commission. The commission's already here. It's on you and me if we've said yes to Jesus. We are supposed to go and make disciples, to follow the master, to bless others along the way. And sometimes it's going to work out really well. You know, these blessings can be as simple as Jesus when he sits down with the Samaritan woman. He sits down and they have a conversation about water that becomes so much more. And it becomes so much more in her life. She goes back and testifies to her whole town. There was a guy here who knew my whole life. We ought to all meet him. And they're changed because of it. Or it could be like Nicodemus, at least in his early days, when he comes to Jesus and he, he says, you know, what must I do to be saved, basically? And, and he goes away dejected. We might not always have sort of, the, the blessing might not always work out like we want it to, but we're not called simply for the results. We're called to bless, to make disciples, to go and do. And we're called as a response to God's work. God is already at work. God is already at work in your life, blessing you and blessing me. And so we begin with the first question, if we're going to recognize uh, our response to God's work, how has God blessed me, is the first question we need to ask. And our response then to that is, now how am I going to bless others because of that? Because God has poured into my life and blessed me, how can I be a blessing to other people? And in your bulletin today, there's ideas on the back of that little bless page that's in there, and there's some very good ones. They're also on the Covenant website, different ideas on how uh, to bless those around you. Maybe it's like we heard this morning. Maybe it's as simple as texting to somebody a bit of encouragement in the morning. Maybe it's uh, like our family. We tip well no matter where we are. If we, pay, if we pray before the meal, we always tip well because it's not really about their service. It's about our witness to them in those cases. And besides that, just as an aside, tipping doesn't affect service, right? Because otherwise we do it before the meal, not after. But that's a different matter. But Uh, We can give something without the expectation of return. Somebody needs, we give. We don't say, oh, I need it back next Tuesday. No, we just give. We can help a neighbor out. We have neighbors that have needs, right? We can help them mow or dig, repair something, move something, or remove something. We all have neighbors who probably have some need like that. We have workers, co-workers, family members, friends, who we can't just pray for, but we might say, can I pray with you. To bless someone is just to take that extra step with them. And our Savior modeled this for us, didn't he? The one who said to go and make disciples. He modeled what it looks like to be a blessing. He blessed us with that which was out of our reach. Salvation, completely out of our reach. And he said, I'm going to do this for you. And then just like we heard this morning, now what are you going to do with it? You've been blessed. How are you going to bless others. Jesus simply asks us to go and do likewise, to bring his salvation wherever we go. Let's pray.
God, we thank you this day that you have blessed us in such a way. Even when we don't recognize the fullness of what salvation looks like, you've given it to us. Even before we even knew it was there, you did it. You created us knowing that we could turn away from you, and yet you said, come to me. And so, Father, this morning we pray that those of us who are wayward in this room, who are feeling a little distant, would come into your presence and would feel your presence clearly. We pray that those who are feeling like they have less of a commission to share your good news would feel like full-fledged disciples who are called to make disciples. And Father, we pray for those uh, in this room who, who know there's a, a, a person in their lives who they just they have that chance to bless them this week. Father, we pray that you bring those people to mind, that you would begin to work already in their lives as we know you have, and you'd work in our lives too to be responsive to learn names where we haven't learned names, to learn family member names where we haven't learned those, to sit down and eat or serve together with people. Father, that we would take it just a step further than normal conversation as you did with the woman at the well, that we would bless others and they would come to know your name because of it. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, who loved us so much. Amen.